Dearly loved people of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord, as we enter into the Advent season, we look forward to celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Roughly 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was born of a woman, of Mary, born with real flesh and blood. He had a real human body. He had a real human soul. And Jesus had to have these things in order to save us. He had to take on that same nature in which sin was committed so that he could pay for sin and so that he could bring humans into eternal life. We confess these uh, truths in places like Lord's Day 6 of the Catechism. And yet there's more to it than that. Jesus Christ not only had to be born as a real human, he also had to be born to the right people. Now, that might sound a bit strange. What do I mean, born to the right people? Well, don't get me wrong, it has nothing to do with one race of people uh, being superior to another. An idea like that is simply unbiblical and ungodly. The Bible gives absolutely no room for racism. Instead, this all has to do with what God has been doing in the unfolding of His plan of salvation. Throughout history, He has chosen specific people at specific times. He has made specific promises to those people. And He has been working to fulfill those promises for those same people. And this is one reason also why genealogies feature prominently in the Bible, also in the New Testament Gospels. Matthew 1, first book of the New Testament, contains a genealogy. Why is that? Well, these genealogies highlight God's faithfulness to His promises made to specific people. One thing this includes is the promise of our text specifically the promise of the land. In Genesis 12, God called Abram. He told him to go to the land he would show him. And he promised Abram that he would give this same land to his offspring, to his descendants. As we hope to see this morning, this is ultimately fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only is it about Christ, but it has huge implications for our lives as well, and as we live by faith as we go through this life. So that brings us to the sermon theme this morning, which is as follows. Jesus Christ has gained the inheritance promise to Abraham's offspring. We're going to look at, first of all, God's promise about the earth. Second, the progressive fulfillment in Christ. And finally, the pilgrimage of believers. So, first of all, God's promise about the earth. Now, throughout history, some of the greatest conflicts have centered on the issue of land. Right? Who owns the land? Who gets to have it for themselves? Just think of the ongoing wars between Russia and Ukraine and between Israel and Palestine. So much of these conflicts are about land and and who gets to have it for themselves. Looking back in history points us to the same thing. 
One of the central tenets of the German Nazis was the idea of Lebensraum, or living space. Hitler wanted to expand his territory for the development and benefit of the Aryan race. Now, issues of land continually pop up in our own country, too, in our own history. Think about the land agreements between the government and the indigenous people. They bring to bear issues surrounding the colonization of North America by European groups. Who owns the land? To whom does it rightfully belong? And getting closer to home, the issue of land impacts our individual lives significantly, too. Housing prices have skyrocketed in our many parts of Canada. Some would call it a housing crisis, and maybe you wonder, can I ever afford to own a piece of real estate where I and perhaps my family can call home? Or maybe it's something as simple as trying to get some land rezoned for a building project. Right? Who owns the land? Who controls it? Where is it going to go? And not only do we have concerns about who owns the land, but perhaps more importantly, yeah, who is in control of it? I'm sure many of us have fears and concerns about who's in control of our own country. Where, where are our leaders and the people of Canada taking us? To put it bluntly, it doesn't look good, does it? As it says in Proverbs 29, verse 2, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. And you know what? The issue of land is also very important to our God. The Bible, of course, begins with the creation of the world in Genesis 1. God made the world for His own glory. Because He created it, He owns all the earth. As Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything it contains, the world and all who live in it. Because God created the earth and owns it, he also ultimately gets to decide who will get it and who can keep living in his world. At creation, God gave the earth to Adam and to all his children. You can hear that in Psalm 115. The, earth, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man, or the children of Adam. Now, ever since the fall into sin, humans deserve to be evicted from the earth. Think about uh, somebody in this life who owns a rental home. If the tenants trash the house and refuse to pay their rent, guess what's going to happen? Well, the owner of the house might be patient for a little while, probably sooner rather than later, he's not going to put up with it. Those tenants got to go. Well, God is not going to put up with his earthly tenants rebelling against him forever either. He's going to do something about it. And so God has declared in the Bible certain things about the earth and who will get it. And what's clear is that the wicked will not inherit the earth. Think of what we read in Psalm 37. There's verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he won't be there. 
or verse 22, those cursed by the Lord shall be cut off from the land. Verses 35 and 36, I've seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. And there's many other places in Scripture that repeat the same thing. Psalm 52, for example, God will break down the evil mighty man forever. He will snatch and tear him from his tent. He will uproot him from the land of the living. Finally, let's give one more. Psalm 104, verse 35, let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let let the wicked be no more. So God's made very clear, the wicked will not inherit the earth. On the other hand, God has made promises to give the earth to certain other people. The Lord Jesus himself proclaims in Matthew 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And Christ, in those words, draws on the teaching of Psalm 37. This psalm repeatedly describes the kinds of people to whom God will give the world. Verse 9, those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 11, the meek will inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Verse 22, those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. Those are his promises about who will get this earth in the end. And so with all these texts, we see God's intention to give the world to certain people and remove it from others. And these themes in Scripture also form the working out of His promises made to Abraham. We read about something of that in Genesis chapter 12. God called Abram and led him to the land of Canaan. In verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. God then repeats that promise throughout the Abraham story. In Genesis 15, he does. In Genesis 22, it's the same. And so, there's an intertwining between his promises made to Abraham and his offspring and what he declares in places like Psalm 37 to whom God will give the earth. In our second point, we're going to see how the Lord fulfills all these things together, how He gives the land to the type of people described in Psalm 37, the meek and the righteous. We'll see how this includes specifically the offspring of Abraham, so that brings us to our second point. Now, throughout Scripture, we see God fulfilling these promises about the earth, and this includes, first of all, the removal of the wicked, We could point to the great flood during Noah's time in Genesis 6 to 8, how the Lord destroyed the wicked from the earth, preserving Noah and his family. We could study God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19, essentially wiping those cities and their evil inhabitants off the map. We could also look at Israel's conquest of Canaan in the book of Joshua. God commanded His people to make this conquest because of 
the great wickedness of the people of Canaan. It was His judgment on those people. And the conquest of Canaan simultaneously began to fulfill the land promise made to Abram's offspring, as we see in Genesis 12. I say it begins to fulfill those promises because there's more to this promise than simply God giving uh, the land of Canaan to Israel. Scripture makes clear that God's promises to Abraham and his offspring included a lot more than that little strip of land in Canaan. It included the entire earth, the whole world. Romans 4 verse 13 describes this for us. It says the, promises, the promise to Abraham and his offspring was that he would be heir not just of the land of Canaan, but of the world. Romans 4 verse 13. So how should we view God's promises to Abraham here in Genesis 12 about the land? Oh, we might be tempted to view it as only a temporary promise and only to physical Israel. And yes, God did give them a temporary fulfillment, but it includes more. Neither should we view the promise of the land as something merely spiritual, where we view Israel living in Canaan as a physical representation of a spiritual reality that's coming, but nothing more than that. This, too, is flawed. You see, in eternal life, we're not going to be living in merely a spiritual realm as disembodied souls. In eternal life, we aren't going to be playing harps on fluffy white clouds forever. Neither is this world going to be completely evaporated into nothing. But this world will be made new. It will be recreated by God. And what exactly that will all look like, I cannot describe for sure. But when God promised to give the land to Abraham and his offspring... And when he makes statements about who will be given the land in Psalm 37, he's not referring to only a temporary fulfillment, nor is he referring to some sort of spiritual fulfillment in a spiritual place. Instead, this promise includes an eternal fulfillment when God returns in judgment and renews the earth and gives it to his chosen people. And at that time, heaven and earth will become one. God will live with His chosen people in fulfillment of this promise also here in Genesis 12. He will give the land to Abraham's offspring. And there's another thing Scripture makes clear. The fulfillment of this promise of the land is centered on the person of Jesus Christ. I pointed out something of this when we sang earlier from Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. One thing it speaks of is how the coming king will inherit the earth. We read in verses 7 and 8, I will tell the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. The same thing is described in Psalm 72, which we hope to sing right after the sermon. 
that saw prophesies about the coming Messiah. It says, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. What's interesting about Psalm 72 is it first describes the borders of Israel, the land of Canaan, from sea, the Mediterranean Sea, to the Dead Sea, and from the great river, river Euphrates, and the other border was the Nile River in Egypt. But here in Psalm 72, it bursts that border wide open to include the entire earth. That's the heritage of the King of Israel, the great offspring of Abraham, Jesus Christ, the entire earth. And this should come as no surprise that the land promises fulfilled in and to Jesus Christ. He is the great offspring of Abraham. And he is ultimately that person of Psalm 37, the meek one, the righteous one who will inherit the land. Psalm 37 says, The meek shall inherit the land, and the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. That's, first of all, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has fulfilled all righteousness, who lived in all humility before God, who is the rightful heir of this world. This is one major reason why Christ came into the world. It's one thing we celebrate at Christmas time. Christ has come. He has come to claim the world, to regain it for God, to fulfill God's promises made to Abraham about the land. And this is also why he came to pay for our sins. Because without his saving work, Christ would be the only righteous person on earth. He would be the only one to fulfill this world or to inherit this world. Everyone else, including us, would be cut off. Well, that would mean Christ would be by himself on the new heavens and the new earth. But it's in Christ. And in his saving work, that we too can inherit the earth, the land. And so, if we want to be heirs of eternal life and heirs of the world, we need to find it through faith in Jesus Christ. That's also why Christ came, to make us heirs of the world in him and with him. Without his saving work, we would be part of the wicked who are cut off from the earth. But what did Christ do for us? We must understand and see that he was cut off from the earth in his crucifixion. He was suspended between heaven and earth, cut off from the world, cut off from God, counted as a transgressor. Christ was cut off in this way on the cross so that we would not be cut off by God on the day of judgment. This is what he has done for you who believe in him and trust in his saving work. 
And in light of this work of Christ being cut off from the earth, God calls us to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to forsake wicked ways, to find our eternal inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through faith in Him that we become heirs with Him. This is how God declares it in Galatians 3, verses 28 and 29. You are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ by faith, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are a fellow heir with Jesus Christ of the world. That brings us to our last point. And so, beloved, through faith in Jesus Christ, we belong to Christ. And that means we are also Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. But the reality is that we have not received these things yet in full. We are living in the time described as the already, so we are heirs of the world, but the not yet. We have not yet received it in full. Christ is already heir of the world. By his resurrection and ascension at God's right hand, he owns all things. But we don't see everyone and everything subjected to him just yet. And what does this mean for our lives as believers in the here and now? It means we need to wait patiently for God to fulfill his promise about the earth. And it means our lives here on earth will look a lot like Abraham's life of faith. Think of Abraham here in Genesis 12. God called him to leave his family and his home country, to go to a new land. And when he came to Canaan, Abraham lived as a foreigner among the Canaanites. He lived in tents. He traveled from place to place. And though God promised him the land and his descendants, Abraham had to welcome that promise from a distance. First piece of property Abraham owned in Canaan was a tomb. A tomb that he had bought for his wife Sarah. A tomb in which he would lay himself one day. So Abraham, throughout his life, he had to live by faith in that coming promise, not receiving it during his lifetime here. As Hebrews 11 puts it, Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He would enjoy one day. And Hebrews 11 says, Abraham acknowledged that he was a stranger and an exile here on the earth. Again, let me emphasize what this does not mean. Abraham was not a sojourner in the sense that he was never going to enjoy the physical earth or that God only promised some kind of spiritual land in heaven of which the land of Canaan was only a picture. Abraham, too, was not looking forward to playing a harp on a fluffy white cloud forever. But it means the fulfillment of the promise of the earth is never fully realized here and now. And as children of Abraham by faith, we experience many of the same sorts of things still today. 
Abraham lived in tents because he did not have a permanent home in Canaan, not during his lifetime. He was a stranger in a foreign land. Now, this doesn't mean that Christians cannot buy homes or purchase property. But as we engage in these things, in these activities, we understand that we are not purchasing our forever home. Our home is not in its final state, nor should we expect it to be before Christ returns. And so we hold on to these things lightly, knowing what is coming. And not only that, but when we purchase homes and property, we do so while continuing, continuing to look to what is coming, the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness. And living with a pilgrim mindset does not mean not engaging in the things of this world, but it means understanding that God has not yet fully fulfilled His promises, and so we must wait. Well, consider the state of the land in Genesis 12. It's clear that when Abraham lived in Canaan, these pagan Canaanites, they controlled his inheritance. That's how it often works in this world. Those who don't know God, who don't know Christ, who don't know the Bible, often they are the ones in control. But because we live by faith, we don't need to take control by force. We're not living in the time of Israel's conquest of Canaan. This was one of the mistakes of the Crusades, trying to take the land by force for God and His people. Neither should we seek fulfillment of the promises by taking control, trying to take control of the country. That's not to say that Christians cannot or should not run for government, far from it. We should work for justice and righteousness in our land. But we should not seek the fulfillment of the promise by taking control by force. God calls us to live by faith, calls us to trust in Him, even when the wicked flourish, even when they are in control. That's essentially what Psalm 37 is about. Do not fret yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. They will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord. He will fulfill His promises. Do good. Dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over, over the man who carries out evil devices, also in our country. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. And this psalm is, in completely, is completely in line with what God promised to Abraham. Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. So Abraham and we can continue to live by faith, even when the wicked prosper. God will preserve his own. He will fulfill his promises to give them the land. That's also why a pilgrim mindset calls for a life of worship. That's what Abraham did in Genesis 12. 
Verse 7, the Lord appeared to him, gave him his promises. In response, Abraham worshiped God, building an altar. From there, Abraham moved further throughout the land. He pitched his tent east of Bethel. He built another altar, called upon the name of the Lord. This is what we are called to, a life of worship. This includes calling many others to believe and worship alongside us. That's because this promise is for everyone from every nation who believes in the Lord Jesus. And living with a pilgrim mindset means calling others to join us and living by faith. Think of what Jesus commanded us in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. As more disciples are made throughout the earth, more people become heirs in Christ, and more people share in the blessings promised to Abraham and his children. Amen. Let's now sing together Psalm 72, again, a psalm about the coming Christ, the ideal Davidic king. Uh, We see here also how God's promises to Abraham are fulfilled in him. Psalm 72, stanzas 1, 5, and 10.